0: you. Mm-hmm. Listeners, welcome back. Buckling for a great episode today with my very good friend and colleague, Pamela Namens who is a curiosity seeker, inclusive leader, and passionate about music, life, and transition. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of things that cross the range from business to psychotherapy and really talk about things like getting curious with your change resistors, talking about inclusive leadership, and being aware of your own personal biases. Stay tuned. And welcome back, Pocket Change listeners. Today, this is a very special podcast for me. Uh, I'm so pleased to welcome Pamela Noms, who is a curiosity seeker, an inclusive leader, and passionate about music, life, and transition. Hi, Pam.
1: Hello, Kate. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me on.
0: Yes, I'm so happy. It's only taken me a year and a half to get you here, but here we are.
1: Here we are. I am ready to go. Let's do this.
0: So fun. So what have you been up to lately? You've been, uh, you have literally been living in transition, I want to say for the past like 12 or 18 months.
1: Oh my goodness, Kate. I think I've been living in transition my entire life. Yes,
0: (laughs) Yes.
1: <laughs> I never knew that was I never knew that was possible. Um I've been doing and I've been up to um a lot though. Yes. Um more in specifically in the past uh 2 to 3 years. Um I have made a career transition that's been a long time coming. However, I realized upon reflection, I was like, this was meant this was meant to be. This was always meant to be where I needed to be." And what I mean by that is I had a very long, lovely, fun, successful, cool career in marketing. And uh, just about three years ago, I decided to transition and to go back to school to get my master's in clinical psychology to become a licensed family um, and marriage therapist um, and start that new chapter of my career. So I am deep in still consulting world, doing some marketing consulting for some really cool brands. And then the other part of me is transitioning into this new career. So I've got two different parts going on right now that are kind of merging into one. And it's just been a lot of fun, a lot of time, though.
0: A lot of time that is, yeah, because you were in the way that you and I met was actually you were my client, right? We were working together on a pretty um, significant rewards program for a very large international brand. And uh, we went through some rigmarole.
1: We did. We did. And it's so funny. I remember when we first started working together, I think that you were probably the first one, Kate, that introduced me to the concept of change management. I never knew that was a thing, right? Like, I never knew that change management and getting all of these leaders together, moving from one way of thinking to another way of thinking was a thing until I got into that position, until I was introduced to you. And now I can see how, in this marketing consulting world that I'm in right now, and even with my clients in therapy, how we are so, as humans, wired for the familiar we're wired for comfort we're wired for things that are consistent right change is hard change is so hard but with change comes so much fun and new adventure and understanding how that is involved in both career and personal life is is really exciting so I was really happy to bring that forth both in my marketing career but also what I do in therapy too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. You know, it's one of those things where I think inherently a number of people, depending on where you are in your career or maybe even just in in terms of understanding self or, um, you know, maybe just in a lot of cases, just being somebody who's very practical with very good common sense. We we inherently just do change management. I, I think back to when I actually got brought into the practice. I, I, I transitioned down from the Yukon. Ruth and I moved down to Alberta. And I got this job. It was a temp job. It was supposed to be for six weeks. And um, I come in and this chief information officer, he says to me, you are way too high caliber for the role that they've put you in. He's like, I am not going to be able to keep you here. We're going to have to figure out how to how to keep you really busy and so basically what just happened was people would just like bring stuff to me senior leaders are bringing things to me and they're like can you handle this can you strategize this can you you know keep track of these things and and i just started like managing change and i didn't know that that's what it was called right i didn't know that that's what i was doing and here i am at 27 years old running this you know huge area of of change inside of technology and we started to do a restructure And in that restructure, they brought in PricewaterhouseCoopers, and PwC actually handed us a a change leader and said, okay, we're going to pair these two together. And I ended up doing a 12-month apprenticeship with this senior leader out of PwC. And that's really how I even started to formalize my own own comprehension and understanding of of, of change and the fact that it actually was a, a practice that needed focus and attention. That's crazy.
1: It is. It is. And it's It's amazing to watch and see who within organizations are really accepting of it and who resists it. And I always say with the resistors, get curious. What are they resisting, right? Because usually that resistance probably has something to do with something that's going on deeply within them, right? Whether it's fear or ego, right? So I always say, always get curious with those that are resisting change and 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 ask you know what if i love asking the que- I, I i don't often like asking the question why i often like asking the question what if it allows us what if allows us to explore the possibilities and that can begin to remove the armor and, and the fear of change i I've, I've, I've found that and i'm curious if if you have found that type of question has worked in, in your own work that you've done
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if? And uh, one of my favorites is. So tell me more about that. Why do you? Why? Why, why do you think that? Right. Like, you know, it's interesting because I, I sit with a group of leaders, um, and you know, they are dispersed across, mm, I think, probably three provinces, one state, and uh, they are all trying to do such really great work. And they're all really well invested in the things that they're doing, but they don't have a central point of contact who's helping them guide and lead their change. And, and it's really interesting because I had a conversation with one of the leaders this morning and he was kind of telling me about some of the, the concerns that he had with, with some of the work that's going on and how resistant he became to it. And, I, I, you know, my question was, well, tell me more about that. Like, why are you feeling that way? and really when mm-hmm. when what I was able to read between the lines was that there was a lack of readiness, a lack of preparedness, a lack of understanding, and so he wasn't resisting for the sake of resisting, he was resisting because he didn't understand the purpose of why these changes were happening and what his role was inside of those changes. mhm, mhm you know, and, and, and those, those types of things happen. I mean, we saw that even inside of the the work that we were doing, just trying to keep people in their own swim lanes sometimes can be its own act, right?
1: It, it, it definitely can. And, you know, at the end of the day, I believe that everyone on a team has positive motivations, right? I was recently on a project where it was all hands on deck. We had a gather. Uh, lots of documentation for an investor deck. It was 15-hour days, and everyone was contributing, but it was a change in the sense that everyone had to change their priorities for that week, right? So even on the granular level, um, changing priorities for the week, everyone was asking questions, well, what can I put off? What do I need to focus on? So everyone has good intentions, so I do love this concept of, let's, let's, let's ask questions. What, what are we afraid of? What are we resisting and and get curious? And I often find, um, in corporate, um, we're sometimes afraid to ask questions. You know, we're afraid of looking, I hate to say the word looking dumb, right. Or, um, like that we don't know. And I say, Screw that. Like ask the question, like get, get curious about it. It's, it's okay to me, curiosity and the love for questions I think is so important. One of the things I'm actually practicing now is, um, when I get asked a question, I ask a question back because mm-hmm. often I find that what I think is being asked is not exactly what that person is asking So I get very curious about language because I know if I say uh, one word, let's say the word foundation, what the word foundation means to me could be very different than what it means to you. So I love and I'm really exercising this practice right now and I'm trying to get good at it and it's hard, Kate, it's so hard to ask a question when I'm being asked a question because I'm the type of person where it's like, I want to have the answer right away. Like I know that. (laughs) I know that about me. That's my, that's what I lovingly call my perfectionist parts and Mm -hmm. perfectionist parts have good sides and shadow sides. So what I'm trying to do is uh, reach my hand out to my perfectionist part and say, you don't need to be a perfectionist, but what you do need to do is get clarity on the question. So I've been really enjoying that. And I often find that when I ask a question to the question, I'm able to answer it because there's common language and common knowledge now shared between the two parties.
0: You're, you're so right on language. And it, 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 I think it's a very fine line because, you know, we have this um, Understanding and making sure that we're speaking from the same uh, wavelength and on the same topic, I think, is so crucially important. However, I also tend to think that organizations, particularly in corporate spaces, spend sometimes too much time talking about language because they don't want to have uncomfortable conversations, which I think, mm. you know, almost does bleed over into that inclusive leadership mindset of how do you um, Stay inclusive when you have people who are at different levels of uh, even personality, right? You think about the introvert versus the extrovert. The extrovert is almost always going to ask a question, right? I always think oh. about people who are very brave who who do ask those questions that we're all thinking, but you know some people might not ask, but then you get those people who are the introverts. and so, right. in terms of that inclusive leadership, talk a little bit about how you as even now as a consultant pull those people together to expose that curiosity in a psychologically safe way?
1: I love this question for so many reasons. This is something that runs in my DNA um, inclusivity. And the reason why I love this question so much is because I have learned throughout my career and as I've gotten older and as I've moved up uh, the corporate ranks I started noticing things. And what I started noticing was my behavior um, when I was younger, but also behavior of some more junior people. Um, I'll give you a specific example. I was in a meeting with about 10 people. Um, I was presenting and I had three people on my team in that meeting and other cross-functional members. And I noticed in this meeting that there were Two people and only two people asking questions and engaging, right? Mm. And I thought to myself, what what's going on here? Because I know everyone else in the room was familiar with the content. They were curious. They contributed to the presentation, but no one was speaking up. And I started getting curious between presenting and trying to be empathetic. It was a lot going on in this meeting. I was like, what and how? Is there something that I can do here in this meeting and in this moment to get these other contributors um, to speak up when I know that some of them were shy. Like you said, some of them were introverted and it was a pretty high stakes meeting because there were three senior executives and what I mean by senior executives, C-suite executives. So that can be intimidating for someone who's on a manager level, Mm -hmm. right? Like think of that dynamic. And this was on zoom. We were not in a room together. So there's that whole, you know, issue going on. It was at that moment in time where I decided I had to reach out and say, "Hey, um so and so, what do, what do you think? What do you, what do you think? What's what's your point of view?" And it was by me encouraging others um to speak up that gave those individuals the confidence to do so. Another way that I did that with someone who I knew is a little bit more shy. What I did was I provided some context and I said in that moment I said, "Um, hey Jen. The other day we were talking in the hall and I remember you told me about this insight that was so applicable to this presentation that we just put together. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that insight was and and what we discussed so it's using a situation that happened in the past as a way to get that person to feel confident and willing to share that story and that experience. So in that moment, and I just got on a roll, like after this happened, I just kept doing it. And I was like, okay, you know, Mark, tell me about that time when you were, you know, at that store and and you found and you started talking to this customer and then the presentation, Kate turned from a, one-way presentation between myself and these two leaders to a full-on discussion, much like what we're having right now. And that discussion allowed everyone that had a seat at the table to have a voice, uh, to have an opinion. And it was really quite amazing to watch the energy shift um, on that Zoom and to see these individuals go from shy to contributors to this meeting um, and, and really have a strong point of view. And I realized in that moment that it all it takes is one person. And if that mm-hmm. needs to be my role in meetings, that's my role. And I'm okay
0: with that. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that facilitation is such an art, right? When we think about facilitating and bringing people along and creating that space for people to feel safe in terms of, of contribution. Now, I remember, though, that we we had a, a networking call one time where we got together and we chit-chatted a little bit. And this is before you had made the transition out, like, I think out of corporate. And and I think you were still, you were in corporate, but you were, um, I think you were tap dancing along the line of, of getting out of Dodge. And I think you were being pretty bold about it. And you had started a rogue women's network that was not sanctioned by the corporation. I want to hear about <laughs> that. I want to hear about that. <laughs> oh, you're
1: bringing up the fun ones, Kate. All the fun ones. Um, yeah, so I, um, I'm i a big believer in diversity, equity, and inclusion at all levels. And being a female um, within marketing, whenever I looked up across the board, I just did not see people that look um, acted or had experiences the way that I do. So, um, in this one particular company, I just decided that I wanted to create a women's group so that women would have a chance to get together, to be mentored, to learn from one another, but really understand how together we can navigate the organization, but also our own careers. So I pitched it to HR, I pitched it to my boss at the time, and they're like, okay, go. And I was like, all right, this is going to be my thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. And it was really founded, it's, it, it, it's funny, it, it was really founded um, on two things that, that happened um, there and throughout my career. And it was me noticing and observing two things that women frequently do in meetings the first thing that I observed that women do is we apologize. We say, I'm sorry. Um, before we interject into a conversation there, it's always met with I'm sorry, or I'm sorry. Could I? Question comes after that. And I it was, I was curious, why are we, why are we apologizing? The second thing I noticed is that we tend to have this tendency to ask permission to ask questions. Can I ask, can I ask a question? No, just, just ask the question. So it was these behaviors that I was noticing where I was like, this is an opportunity to get these women together, to observe these behaviors, bring awareness to them, get curious about them and begin to navigate change. And that's when I came up with the women's group. And I found that within the first 30 days of putting this together, we were able to group 25 plus individuals. And our first session wasn't a sitting around getting to know like, hi, I'm Pamela Namas. I'm from here. This is what I do for my job. Instead, there was deep vulnerability, (laughs) Mm. such vulnerability about who they were as humans, not just as career individuals. And that created a place of safety and trust for all of us. And we all showed up courageous. Uh, we all showed up not really knowing one another other than our names and our titles. And it was in that moment where I said, this is, this is incredible and this needs to continue and we need to make this um, bigger. So I'm, I'm really proud. Um, I'm really proud of that, that moment.
0: Well, and I think it's really powerful, you know, because l- let's also be honest, it's you weren't, you know, the receptionist at that organization, right? I mean, you're a fairly senior leader and you in your in your position. And I think that, you know, I go back to the the mentor that I first worked with. She gave me such gold, um, you know, at 26, 27 years old. And I remember when I came out of my, my role and I was moving into my change role and I left on a Friday and at the end of the day on Friday, she said, OK, today you're leaving. You are the number one executive assistant. You are the best that mm. you're ever going to be in this role. Mm. And then she said to me, when you come in on Monday, you're going to be the greenest person in the room. You're not going to be on the top of your game, right? And, and, and then she said to me, and some other advice that I'm going to give you as you walk into this new role, she said, when you walk into a meeting on Monday morning and people are late and there aren't enough chairs, she said, you're going to sit in your chair and you're going to look up at them and you're going to say, oh, yeah, I think there's some chairs in the office next door that you can grab. Mm-hmm. And then she said, and you're not going to play with your hair and you're not going to put lip gloss on and you're not going to do anything that differentiates you from anybody else in that room Although I will say that I have watched a man sit in a meeting with his lip soul and his, like, his <laughs> his lip balm and just put it on, like, Silence of the Lambs, like, oh, it's just, that's not okay. But, you know, no. I mean, those are such powerful tips because I think that, you know, it, it comes down to the fact that if we want to be diverse, if we want to have inclusion, if we want to be treated equal, then how we show up and how we show out, it matters, Right. Mm-hmm. It, and it's not to suggest that we're not allowed to have emotions and it's not to suggest that, you know, we shouldn't differentiate and be proud of who we are. But at the same time, there's an element of fitting in and having an established social norm that everybody can align to in an organization.
1: That's right. That's right. And And being aware of our bias, because we all have it, right? Like we can't sit here and say that we don't have bias. We all have bias. There's that idea of unconscious bias. And it's, it's being aware and and observing. And this is where, um, the psychotherapy part of me, you'll, you'll notice that I talk about parts a lot. I, I really believe that we are all made up of these different parts, um, and parts can all coexist. Um, but being, being aware of, you know, what those bias may be and getting curious about them, right. And understanding them and having someone, you know, especially, um, a supervisor. And I've, where I've had amazing supervisors and I've had horrific supervisors. (laughs) And I am telling you, Kate, I have learned more from those horrific supervisors than I have from the best because I have truly learned who I do not want to be. And I thank them every day for showing me that is not who I am. That is not how I want to behave and that is not who I want to be. So I'm, I'm, I feel very lucky. I've, I've had a lot of marketing positions, you know, it, which is a typical thing to do in marketing. It's, it's you know, to move around a bit. Um, and with that comes um, seeing all different types of leaders. And I don't think I am who I am today um, without that. So I'm thankful for that.
0: Yeah, we, we are the patchwork quilt of our experience, right? I mean, and, you know, you talk about your biases and you talk about the things that we don't really realize. And it's even it, it, our biases come with us based off of how we were raised and the conditions in which we were brought up and where we were raised. You know, I, I, I remember that until I moved away from the Yukon and down south, I honestly thought that everybody who was from an Asian country was a Buddhist. Because I didn't know any better. I didn't have a circle of people educating me on those things. When we were growing up, we didn't have all of the access to the Internet until I was, you know, uh, you know, very early in my adolescence. But, you know, you think about those types of things and it's, it's, it's just literally, a, it is ignorance at its absolute core, but it's an innocent ignorance, right? And so you talk about diversity and you talk about inclusion and we have this very large, very loud, very in some spaces, angry conversation taking place uh, and these debates that are happening around these specific elements. And it really is, um, it's unsettling in in some cases.
1: It is, and it's it's really, it's triggering. It's emotionally um, triggering for so many reasons for so many people, um, which is why it's so important And, and I'll, I'll, you know, this is one of the things that I just believe in. And one of the things that I'm just really trying to practice for myself is not to walk into a room with assumptions, right? Walk into a room with the utmost curiosity, um, and desire to learn, right? And, and, and know that, um, when you come in with that space of curiosity and asking questions, things begin to change. People begin to talk, um, that's the other thing that I'm really trying hard to do. I'm trying to, and I, I I know you see this all the time in leadership books, and they tell you, you know, talk less, ask more questions, and listen. And i'm and I'm really trying hard to do that because it's it's so right in those times where I have um, the relationships that are built that could have been very um, relationships that could have been in conflict just through the curiosity. And and also, Kate, another thing too, when you do go into those high conflict discussions, the other thing I found myself doing is regulating myself, regulating my body and my breathing. Even before um this podcast, what I did is I took three really big deep breaths to calm and regulate my nervous system. That works for me. Taking a big breath um before I go into a presentation or even stretching just regulating myself and getting into this, um, calm, relaxed state so that when I am in a tense conversation, I can come at it and be calm. And if that person isn't, I can still regulate myself. So I I think those are tips that, that have definitely absolutely worked for me and I'm still learning at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, when it comes to our, our resilience, uh you know emotional regulation is one of those pillars where I think that it takes a constant amount of effort the need and the desire to always be flexing those resiliency muscles to to drive and and be able to do the the hard shit really is what it comes mm-hmm. down to, right? So mm-hmm. when we think about like you, Pam, like you're a very interesting, loving, compassionate individual. Where did that all come from? Where did the love of music come from? The love of life come from? Was this like, is this how you've always (laughs) been since you were little, Pam?
1: (laughs) It's so funny. It's, it's in school right now. Uh, when you, when you get your master's in clinical psychology, it's also getting a master into who you are and why you are the way you are today. So, um, I am learning all those things. I am deep into my own work and my own therapy. Um, it's funny, I wanna go back to the parts conversation. There's two parts of me. Um, there's two parts of me. There's this fiercely independent person who as a little girl and growing up as a teenager celebrated all things different. If I, if someone was listening to mainstream music, I wanted to listen to punk rock. If someone was wearing um, uh, clothes from the Gap, I wanted to wear goth, right? I was always intrigued by people that were part of that subculture and expressing themselves as different. That was part of my, what I call, unique, individual, fierce, independent side. Um, There was this other side of me, though, too that loves um, safety and consistency and having a marketing career, working for great companies, working my way up the ladder, right? So there are these dual roles that exist within me. And I have this incredible awareness now of when that fierce independent part comes out and when the part that needs like consistency and safety comes out and what triggers those things. But that's a long way of saying, yeah, I think ever since I've been, a kid and I even find myself today with the clients that I'm attracting on the psychotherapy side, um, while I'm at my practicum, I really find clients that are different and think different and want to challenge traditional norms and beliefs are attracted to me. And I find that's where I can do my best work because there's a part of me that sees myself. And there's a part of me that wants to go in and like hold their hand and be like, I see you, like, I, I see you, I know you, and it's okay. You can be this individualistic self. Um, yeah. So I hope that, I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's powerful, right? When you step into the the light of who you actually are as a person and embrace the strengths and even the weaknesses that you have, right? I mean, you could see that the the need for safety sometimes people could be like, "Oh, that's weak." But is is it really? I don't think so, right? I mean, no. I'm I'm the same way. Like, you know, I look at the parts of myself and I probably have five. I I'm like, you know, I'm a trivial pursuit pie, right? And I have multiple interests and I have, but there are certain things where if you ask my daughter um, questions about my independence, my consistency, my need for routine, all of those things, like those underpinning values that actually drive the really great results and outcome, those are very much the foundation that I stand on. Right. And I think Mm. you said something in terms of self-awareness. And I think that that is something that, you know, is worth its weight in gold. Right. When you think of being self-aware, I think self-awareness is almost a key to success. I
1: think, I think you're right. And It's a key to success, Kate, because it's really hard to do. It's really hard to look inward and call yourself out. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. It hurts. It brings up pain. It brings up fear. It's so hard to look inward. But when you do and you are able to articulate, okay, why did I do that? Where is that coming from? And and having that reflection, it helps you move on. And it helps Mm -hmm. you become... Real to yourself, right? And having that self awareness and ability, I call it to tell on yourself, that's when you can become really vulnerable um, and courageous. To me, vulnerability equals courage. Um, That's probably a whole other podcast, (laughs) a whole other topic, but bringing in that vulnerability, not just to yourself, but with others really begins to break down, um, the barriers and that comes through self-awareness. You know, it's, it's, it's telling on yourself, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Ooh, I said that I actually, it's funny. I, I noticed that I said something in a meeting, um, a couple of days ago, um, because I felt like I was being attacked. Um, I felt like I was being attacked by someone. Um, and I didn't say that in the meeting and my response back was, well, I created this document, and." After I said it, I was like, oh, I was like, that came from a place of fear. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yes.
1: It came from a place of fear of not feeling like I was smart enough or not feeling like I was good enough. And after the call, I sat down and I was like, okay, where are these stories? Why are you telling yourself these stories? And that's part of the self-awareness process. So that when it comes up again and I'm feeling triggered or close to being triggered, I now have the tools to know where those where those feelings and those emotions are coming from.
0: So, what does the process look like in terms of like you, you sit there, and I think we all kind of can relate to that. Even just that story, I think, is is a very common one because when we invest time in something, uh, and we feel like we're uh, maybe an imposter, or maybe we feel like somebody's not taking value or taking stock of the value that we've put into something. You know, we feel disrespected. But mm-hmm. when we think about sitting down and telling on ourselves, is that just you know maybe sitting in a quiet space, going for a walk, and just having some internal dialogue? Is it writing it out? Is it maybe sitting and teasing it out with somebody that you trust? Because I think that this concept, this is a really powerful concept of personal self-accountability. And I'm not going to lie, I don't think people are good at that.
1: Nope. Nope, we're not. It's it's hard. It's It's hard to face the facts about who we are and what we do and what our motivations are. And I think that everything that you said from journaling to walking to meditating to sitting in a quiet space to talking to a trusted friend all of those are great options depending upon who you are right everyone's gonna have a different way in to bring this self-awareness up for me it's it's a messy process like I know that for sure but I also know for me there are two things that I need to do to get clarity of mind I need to walk go outside and go for a run. Those are three things, but I kind of combine them into one. Because for me, if I'm sitting behind a computer or at a desk trying to problem solve, I'm a kinetic thinker and problem solver. And what that means is I solve problems when I'm moving versus when I'm sitting looking at a screen. I know that about myself. So if there's something that happens and I need to find the problem solution, I go outside, I go for a walk. The other thing that I do that I know that I need is meditation. I have to sit quietly for 10 minutes, 15 minutes every single day, because if I don't thoughts of anxiety, Oh my God, what am I, what am I doing? What am I working on? Imposter syndrome, all those just unnecessary thoughts that come through our minds because we're human. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Meditation helps me quiet them down. And it also reminds me. I'm good enough. I can do this. I'm here for a reason. And it takes me out of the fear. It just really calms and regulates me. So I'm lucky that I found meditation about 15 years ago and the running, walking, being outside. That's something that I I found uh, probably five years ago. So these are lifelong journeys and I'm, I'm later on in life and I'm just finding these tools. Now, I wish someone had asked me this question, right? When I was in my twenties, because my goodness, imagine the decisions I could have made if I had those tools and the clarity and the
0: Mm self-awareness. Yeah, mine are very similar to yours in in that um, I I do write a little bit, but I am very much uh, get out and I walk a couple times a day. But for me, it's the gym. Mm -hmm. I can tease anything out under the iron right? And it it gives me time to just isolate myself and have those conversations. And same thing, meditation is a huge part for me. Um, you know what I find for myself is I really, really appreciate guided meditation, because it really forces me to focus on something other than what is um, dominating my thought in that moment, right? And it's It's almost like a story it guides you along and it asks you to do things i can drop out and drop in so easy on my meditation practice right now it's uh, you know i'm I'm in a prep right now a contest prep and um my my old coach before we we stopped working together because he cut me loose he's like you know everything you need now go um (laughs) so one of the things that he used to do is he used to get me to do a prep project because when you're in preparation for any type of sport, you know, it's very easy to get lost in the comparisons or in photos or in social media or you're feeling tired or what have you. And so the prep project is a way to keep you busy and preoccupied learning something or doing something of value that doesn't necessarily just focus you only on the gym. And so the first year that I did a prep project, I it was during COVID. And I hand wrote, oh gosh, I must have sent out. 120 handwritten cards with tea bags and little limericks and notes and whatever to people who if I had your address, you were getting a letter from me. And it was like sneak attack. We called it boomerang love. Because what would happen is I would go and I would mail five to, you know, 10 of these cards every other day for weeks and weeks. I did this. And then all of a sudden, I would get this deluge of love of Text messages Uh. and phone calls (gasps) and emails and letters and, oh, it was just, it was so beautiful. And so this prep, what I've decided to do is I've decided to work on my meditation practice. Mm, And this has been the calmest, most peaceful, easygoing prep that I have Mm. ever had. Right, mm-hmm. and I, I, and in addition to that, what I'm actually finding is that I'm elevating in other areas of my career, in my parenting style, in my relationship, like in all of these different things, and all of these different avenues, and it's it's a very 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 powerful tool that I think, um, really, I, I'm I'm as grateful for it as you are, I you know.
1: And and it's, and it's, that's the thing. It's, it doesn't take much time, even, even five minutes of meditation. And people often ask me, well, it's so hard to sit still. I still have so many thoughts going through my brain, even when I sit still for five and I'm like, it's okay. Just let it happen. The fact that you're just even sitting and doing nothing, like even that is a step forward. So it's okay. if You still have thoughts racing. There's no perfect way to do it, but Eventually, it'll come, and you'll feel the peace. And I'm wondering for you, Kate, do you feel this calmness? I'm curious what you feel in your body. Is there a calmness in your body that that comes with it?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. And you know it's really interesting that when I find my space of meditation, like when I've hit that what I call my white space, yeah, what I see and what I feel. Is this overwhelming sense of peace and calm. But in my mind's eye, what I'm seeing is the poplar leaves flowing across each other outside of a shade. And that's all I can hear is the wind going through poplar leaves. It's just crazy.
1: That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. It's so funny you mentioned that because I have a similar thing. I know that I'm dropping in when I have, um, it's kind of similar to what you described, which is like, funny to me but it's um it's this like beautiful silhouette with leaves in a tree and I know when I begin to see that as I
0: meditate I'm like oh you're dropping in this is here we go (laughs) here
1: we go girl here we go exactly
0: yeah it's it's great it's great so Pam if people want to get a hold of you or if they're interested in following your journey into your your clinical psychology practice how can folks find you
1: best place to find me is LinkedIn. Um, I am on uh, LinkedIn almost every day. I think LinkedIn is just such a great platform for not just connecting with new people. I've used it to do cold outreach, informational interviews. I am like the one thing that I'd like try to get my goal for this year was to get really good at um, informational interviews and reaching out to people on the on the DL, like super cold. And I've been getting a ton of responses. So I'm a huge fan and advocate of that and highly encourage um, anyone to get in touch with me, send me a direct message on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to have these conversations. I am a connector of people, I love connecting people with other people in different areas of expertise. Um, so that's the best way to find me, uh, Pamela Namas on LinkedIn.
0: Yes, absolutely. I was just confirming that we were actually connected. I was like looking. I love your, (laughs) I love your, your headliner. Bored by status quo. Oh man, you're a trip.
1: You're a trip.
0: I got to come back down and see you. We've got to get together. Yeah, you do. Let your husband grill me some vegetables again. That's wonderful.
1: (laughs) Master chef.
0: Love it. Well, Pam, thank you so much for taking the time and spending it with us today. Uh, I want to suggest that this won't be our only podcast. I want us to come back and have a conversation about how vulnerability is courageous, because I think that that is a really interesting and healthy topic that we need to be talking about.
1: Count me
0: in. I am ready
1: for round two when you are
0: wonderful and listeners thank you for joining us today as usual if there's any content you'd like to see us feature anyone you'd like to see us host reach out a call doesn't cost a thing